Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. Well, here in 2012, first visit, I came to carry Rob's bags, and um, which was great. And then Gideon said, oh, I might as well give you a session since you've flown all this way. So I preached out of my book, and that was a bit of fun, and that's great. And I preached out all over the world, and well, anywhere I've travelled, so that's good. And then we had a Q&A session in that first ever conference in 2012. And a lot of the questions that came out uh, were really, really good, honest questions. And Rob and I sat up on, on, on the stage and we gave some answers. And the thought occurred to me as we are going through that, you know, a lot of these questions could be answered if by people themselves, if people just knew how to read the Bible properly, if people just knew how to handle the word of truth. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, be a good workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. So there is some work involved in interpreting and handling the Bible properly. So Paul gives that charge to Timothy. And during that Q&A session, I said to myself, if I get invited back, that's what I want to do a, a talk on. I want to speak about how to interpret the Bible properly. And so 2013, I'm not sure whether it's still on Harmony's website or Resonate. I know it's on Chad. It's on my uh, It's on. It is on It's still on MP3, okay? And it's on my YouTube channel if you just search up um, Chad Mansbridge and, and whatever that was called. You, yeah, anyway, um, but there's, I did a talk there on how to rightly divide the word of truth in 2013. And uh, that has been something that, in a sense, permeates everything that I do, uh, is uh, because my job as a, a preacher teacher is not just to preach or teach a message, but is to help other people do the same. Um, because that's what Ephesians 4 is about equip the saints to do the ministry. You can, you know, give a man a fish. And he'll eat for a day, but you teach a man to fish and he'll feed himself for a lifetime. So that's primarily my thing. So probably three years ago, I started in <laughs> three years ago, I started in earnest to put some of my thoughts down as to writing a book on how to handle the word of God. And I'm in the midst of doing that now. It is a slow process. I am a father of four. I am a pastor of a local church. I'm not a full-time author. Okay, so it is taking a while for me to get through that. And last year it was postponed a bit because I decided to take my church through the whole Bible in a year. I got up to a part in my book, and I'm going to encourage you to do this today, where I encourage the, the readers in my book to read through the Bible in a chronological fashion. And as I'm writing that, I'm thinking, I haven't done that. <laughs> and I'm not one that, I need to practice what I preach. There's certain things I don't preach as a pastor because I don't feel like I've got a good firm hold of that in my private life. So there's certain things I actually don't preach because I believe in practicing what you preach. So I put my book on hold in a sense and read through the whole Bible in a year and helped my church do that. And uh, so in a sense that sort of delayed my book, but I tell you what, it helped me no end understand the Bible so that I could continue writing. So the point is this, it's really important to handle the Bible proper, properly, to understand what we need to do as workmen to correctly handle the word of truth. It is good for you and it is good for those around you. Paul writes to Timothy and says, watch your life and your doctrine closely so you will be good for yourself. You will save both yourselves and your hearers. For both your sake and those around you, it's important to establish yourself in the word. All right, we need to be established in the word. And what I'm going to do today, though, is I'm going to start right at the beginning and I'm not going to talk today, or not in this session, about how to interpret the Bible. Because before you interpret it, before you try to work out what it means, and before you have to work out what do I do about it, you have to first of all know what the Bible says. Before you interpret it, you have to read it. Now, I told you I was going to get basic, didn't I? <laughs> so I'm not going to talk to you today about the complex issues of hermeneutics. You can watch that YouTube clip from 2013 where I kind of did that. And then hopefully if I get invited back next year, I hope I have the book in my hand and I'll be able to expand a bit more. Today, I want to take us right back and talk to you about how to read the Bible for yourself. That's good. How to read the Bible. I'm not here to tell you why you should read the Bible. 
because most of you already know that you should. And why you should read the Bible is really important. I could talk about today about why we should read the Bible. It provides direction for our life. Your Word is a light to my path and a lamp to my feet, or the other way around. The Word of God reveals His wisdom, will and ways, transform our minds that we would test God's good, pleasing and perfect will. The Word of God reveals God's character. It provides us with daily sustenance for man does not live on bread alone, but on every Word that proceeds from the Father. It brings life to our soul. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. God's Word comes and brings life to us. Uh, God's Word provides discernment in complexity, dividing the very joints of uh, soul and spirit, Hebrews says. The Word of God gives instruction for good living. For all Scriptures, God breathed and is useful for teaching, instructing in all good conduct and living, uh, 1 Timothy says. The Word of God gives power to overcome the enemy. Jesus in His desert temptation said to Satan time and time again, it is Written. And so knowing that you, why is it important for you to read the Bible? So you can overcome the enemy in those moments, just like Jesus' example to us. The Word of God is important because it gives us power to be fruitful in life. Those who delight in my Word are like a tree, Psalm says, that are planted, are like a tree that bears fruit in all seasons. So there are many reasons why you should read the Bible. And those reasons would inspire you. It is important to know why. But if we just know the why, without knowing the how, sometimes that very inspiration can actually become debilitating. Most of us know why we should eat well. Most of us know we should. Yet how many of you know when you don't, it feels debilitating when you don't know how. Most of us know we should invest money well, most of us know we should volunteer, we should serve. It's not enough to know what you should do or why we should do things. Oftentimes the thing that will inspire us is actually just seeing the simple practical steps as to how. And that is what can inspire us to say, yeah, I can do that. I can do it. I'm not here to say you should read the Bible. I'm here to say you can. You can do it. And that's one of the advantages of one of the things with Rob and I that makes us good speakers, I guess, at a conference is we're not just speakers at a conference. We are local church pastors that understand what it's like to walk a community through the hows. The hows, we don't just come and preach a message and, and change your life because we've inspired you and everyone's like, rah, 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 I'm gonna read the Bible. Then we disappear. And, we, and, and a month later, nobody is, okay? Because that's all that inspiration sometimes does is that, no, 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 we're here to say the how. Because we want to come back in a year and know that you are more established in God's Word because you've taken it on before yourself. You know how. So that's what I want to do. I want to get practical today. The biggest selling book in Australia in 2017 was a book called Barefoot Investor. Sold over a million copies in the last few years. There's only 24 million people in Australia. One in every five people has this book. That's insane. Sold more than Dan Child, more than, you know, the, the Treehouse stories, uh, more than, who else are the big, uh, big writers the other year? Dan Brown, the Diary of a Wimpy Kid, more than Jamie Oliver, okay? It's a book on how to invest your money. And he spends very little time on talking about why people should handle their budgets well. Because everyone knows they should. He spends a lot of time saying, this is how. And Australians just gobbled it up. And literally, he says, listen, you go out with your significant other this weekend, have a date and talk about this issue, this issue, make this phone call and make this decision. And then set a diary date two weeks later to have another discussion. And he literally just gets practical, practical, practical. And it has changed people's lives because they know how and the confidence comes when I say, yeah, I know how to do that. So today, I want to share some stuff that I haven't shared before. Okay, simple stuff. I want you to get your pen and paper out or your electronic device or whatever. I don't want to see any swiping, okay? Just typing. There's not time for Instagram. This is a time for taking notes because last night or Thursday night, I spoke about our identities in Christ. I spoke about us being sons, servants and saints. Well, we have another identity. Because Jesus is a good teacher, that means we are His Students. So there's another identity I want you to slip into. We are students of the Scripture. We are here to learn and we're sitting at the feet of the good teacher today as we look at how to read the Bible. And as a, good, as a preacher who likes points that hopefully people can remember, more than 10%, all right? I've, today, the subtitle for this is the A, E, I, O and U's of how to read the Bible. A, E, 
I owe you five practical points as to how you should approach your reading of the Scripture. You all ready? Ready? Let's go. A, when you open your Bible, approach the Scriptures with appreciation. Appreciation. The greatest parable Jesus ever told, or at least the one he says, hey, if you don't get this, you're not going to get any of them, is the parable of the sower. Seed is the same. Sower is the same, but there are different degrees of success depending on the soil. The soil, he says, is your heart. The seed is the Word of God. So before we approach God's Word, we need to deal with our heart. And every preacher has their own way of explaining what a good and fertile heart looks like or the characteristics of a good and fertile heart. I've got my own way to do it. I've got a great message. I, haven't, I don't think I've preached it here, but on the key to a fertile heart. And uh, it's, it's really key <laughs> because the condition of our heart as we receive God's word will determine the fruitfulness therein. How many of you think that's a, that's a really important thing? But most every preacher who ever preaches on that would pretty well agree with this. One of the core components of a good and fertile heart is a heart that is grateful. A heart that embraces an attitude of gratitude and that appreciation is something that prepares our hearts to receive what we're going to read, prepares our hearts to receive that which we are going to hear. And so the psalm says this, Psalm 119.11, Your word I have treasured, treasured in my heart. Mary did a similar thing, didn't she? When the angel came to her at Christmas, okay, said, you're going to have a baby spoke the word and it said Mary didn't really understand it all. How is this going to work out? Whole virgin thing, remember? How is this going to happen? But it said she treasured. She was grateful. She appreciated. There was something in her word that said that's significant and I'm not going to treat it lightly. I'm thankful, Lord. I'm grateful that you have chosen me so highly. Have you favoured me? I'm grateful for that. Many of us have grown up with the habit, the tradition, the custom, the discipline of sitting down at a meal with your family and before you eat, you give. Next time you sit down with your Bible, stop. Lord, for what I'm under that to receive, I am truly grateful. Because before I ministered to your head today, the heart of the issue is an issue of the heart. And as we approach the scripture, we need to do so with gratitude. I'm thankful. There's something about a gracious, a, um, a thankful heart that is receptive and that is open. All right? So the first thing when you approach your Bible reading, A, do so with appreciation. And everyone said, Amen. this is easy, isn't it? Moving on, what's after A? E, read the Bible with expectation. Expectation. In Hebrews, it talks about the Old Covenant community and particularly those who were in the desert, experience with Moses there. And it says the word of God that came to them was of no use to them because they did not combine what they heard with faith. Okay, their expectations was not there. So they did not receive that word. They certainly weren't grateful for what God was saying. They were a bunch of whingers that wanted to go back, okay, to Egypt. So that they didn't have appreciation in their hearts as to God's word. They didn't, they didn't appreciate God speaking to them. They wanted Moses to do all the talking. We actually don't, thanks, thanks for the invite for God's presence and for hearing God's word for ourselves, but we don't want it, thank you very much. You go up their mountain for us, mate. Okay, so they weren't a grateful people. They weren't appreciative and they weren't expectant. They didn't have expectation. Well, you've been given a new heart. Okay, so you, can have, you, you approach God's word differently. Approach it with appreciation. Number two, approach it with expectation. You should expect something every time you open the scriptures. 
And whether you've thought about it this way or not, every one of us, every relationship we have, we have certain expectations of that relationship. Some of them are known, like if you're in business, you have those expectations written down. Here's a contract. Okay, mostly in family and friendship, we don't have those expectations written down, but we have expectations in our mind and in our heart in a relationship where your relationship with the Scripture is no different. You should have expectations. Well, I'm here to encourage you to be conscious of what those expectations are. Okay, three areas that you should expect God to minister into as you approach the Scripture. You should expect God to minister to your head, to your heart and to your hands. You should expect God to speak to your head, to your heart and to your hands. Remember, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. When you open the Bible, expect to learn something. Lord, I'm so thankful for this word and I thank you my heart is ready to receive. Now I'm expecting to learn something. I'm expecting for you to teach me something. I'm expecting for my brain to be engaged. That's why for some of you, reading the Bible first thing in the morning is not the best thing for you. Okay? Because your brain is not engaged in the morning. Some of you need to find another time of the day to read the Scriptures, maybe even at night in bed. So it's the last thing on your mind. Okay, but the point is, expect God to minister to your brain. The Word of God has wisdom that will help you lead a prosperous life. And so you should expect to learn something. And even those of you who've walked with God for longer than I've been alive, you don't know it all. And so expect God to teach you something, something. Expect to learn something. Expect God to renew your mind and to say something, to minister to your mind. Because as Joyce Meyer has taught us for years, the battlefield of the mind is one of the most serious things. So Lord, I submit my mind to you. I'm expecting you to teach me something today. Number two, you should expect God to minister to your heart. Because again, the heart of the issue is an issue of the heart. This is what we see at the day of Pentecost. It's a really profound thing. Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit supercharging the atmosphere. He preaches a sermon and he preaches stuff that everybody knows. They knew Jesus had died. They knew Jesus had raised from the dead. He actually says that. He said, we're all witnesses of the fact. They knew the tomb was empty. They knew the Scriptures. These were Jewish people at the temple. They knew academically the Scriptures. But it says, as Peter preached that day, it says, God pierced their hearts. I can't remember the Greek word, but it doesn't matter because I'm not here to impress you. But it's the only time this specific Greek word is used where the word pierced means to pierce above down, from on top down. So these guys had, they didn't expect this to happen, but what Holy Spirit did is He took knowledge from their head and pierced the very depths of their soul. So they cried out to say, what do we do about this? It's the same thing that happened to the two people on the road to Emmaus when Jesus appears to them and He's walking along. They don't know who He is. Okay, and then suddenly, bam, He's revealed to them. And they said later, were not our hearts burning within us? You remember that? This is Holy Spirit heartburn. Uh, Holy Spirit heartburn. Okay, when I approach the Word of God, I expect Him to minister to my head. Yes, I want to learn something and it's okay. Your brain is a good thing. Your brain is a good thing. Most Christians need to turn their brains on a bit more, okay? Turn your brain on. It's a good thing. But God is not just interested in ministering to your brain. Lord, I open to you my heart. Minister to my soul. I expect you to minister deeply to my heart and soul, to pierce my heart today. Amen. Expect to learn something. Expect to feel something. And lastly, expect to do something. Expect God to minister to your hands because the Word of God is not just there to titillate our intellect or or, speak sweet nothings to our emotional ear. The Word of God is there to be put into practice. It is the man, Matthew 7 says, Jesus says in Matthew 7, who hears my Word and puts them into practice. Practice it is both the hearing and heeding of God's Word that provides a foundation, established foundation in our life. And so we should expect to obey 
the Word of God as it is relevant to us. As it is relevant to us. Which is where Bible interpretation comes in because not all the Bible is for you to apply. Okay, because it's not all written to you. Whole other subject. But you should at least expect, Lord, I have an expectation that if you say something to me today, I'm going to do it. Because you're not just a good teacher, you're my Lord. You're not just a, you're not, you don't just give good advice. You're my sovereign king. You're my master. You are king. I'm your servant. I'm not just a student that learns. Okay. I am a servant that will obey and follow. So I expect you, James 1, to do what it says. And I expect myself, I expect you to give me tools for everyday living that I will put into practice. Amen. A, we approach the Bible with appreciation. Lord, I thank you for this word. I don't take it lightly. I don't take it for granted. I'm grateful that you are speaking to me today. I expect you, Lord, to minister to my head, to my heart and to my hands. And maybe not today as I read. I expect all three of those things, but I'm open for at least one of those things to happen. I'm open to learn from you. I expect something today. A, E, I. I is intention. Intention. As you read the scripture, do so with intentionality. This is a big one. Proverbs 21 something, verse 5 says, Good planning leads to prosperity. Good planning leads to prosperity. And when it comes to your Bible reading, my encouragement, my third encouragement for you today is this. Have a plan. Be intentional as you approach the Scripture. One of the reasons that most Christ, many Christians find the Bible complicated and convoluted and confusing and irrelevant to their life is because they don't know how to read it. And it's our fault as preachers. Because what we often do as preachers is we just take a verse, say something about it, and then take another random verse and maybe say something about it and then say a whole bunch of stuff and then say half a verse that kind of relates to it. And people don't see any intention in that. They don't understand how the Bible actually works. And so many people try to read their Bible like preachers set an example for them where they just think, I'm just going to keep reading until something makes sense to me. <laughs> Come on, we all do that. You read through the prophets and you're like, eh, nah, boring, boring, doesn't make, oh, there's a, there's a nice four words, I'll highlight that, you know. And so we, try, we, we treat the Bible like lucky dip, like oh, I'll just open it up and bing, oh, I'll try to find something good, you know, like a Chinese fortune cookie. It's like, oh, that's no good. I won't have that. No, no, I won't have that one. Oh, yeah, I'll have that one. Most of it, and that's why most of us, I was to ask today, how many of you right now have a bookmark in your Bible? If I, if I was to say to you, what are you reading in the Bible right now? What's the last thing you read and what are you reading at the moment? What are you currently engaged in, in your Bible reading? I dare say 70, 80%, maybe more of us would go, mm, uh, don't know. I listen to podcasts. And listen, we're the committed ones. We're the ones paying bucks to come out on a Saturday to go to a conference to hear the Word preached. And I'd be pretty certain that most of us here in this room don't approach the Bible with intentionality. And you're not going to leave today feeling bad about that. You're going to leave today feeling empowered to go, yeah, I can do that. So here's three areas, here's three ways that you can intentionally approach the Scripture, intentionally approach your personal Bible reading. The first one is a devotional approach. This is called devotional reading. Now devotion, when applied to God, is basically another way of saying worship. It's the least technical of the approaches to reading the Bible because it deals with the heart. And the idea when you approach the Bible devotionally is you are intentionally wanting the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart. And you might not read much at all. In a devotional, uh, to approach the Bible devotionally, here's some things you might do. You might go to your local bookshop, Christian bookshop, 
and buy a daily devotional book. And in that devotional book, every day or every week or however often you do it, they'll have one verse with some nice notes there about how God ministers to you. And you reflect on that and you thank God for that. And you say, Lord, let this minister to my heart. And then you worship God out of that. And that's all you do because you're approaching the Bible to meet with God. That's your primary motivation is the expectation of my heart. You might take something like Psalm 23 and that's all you read all week. Every day I'm reading, the Lord is my shepherd. And I'm not just reading it for my head, I'm reading it for my heart. And I'm stopping on verse three and I'm going, oh God, that's awesome. Thank you, Lord, for that truth. Thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, what are you? Oh, wow, that means, oh, wow. And all you do all week is just read one psalm again and again and again. This is, another word is for this is meditation. That's why the psalmists say, psalmist, Psalm 119, on your law, he meditates day and night. On your word, I meditate. Um, you know the word muse. And you muse on something. It's like when the cow just Mull something over, just chews on it and chews on it and chews on it. And this is something that we're not particularly good at in the West because what we like is amusement. Okay, when you, when you put the word A in front of something, it cancels that thing out. So to muse is to think on something. Amuse is to do something where you're not thinking. I'm deliberately turning my brain off. Now, sometimes that's good. You just, <laughs> you just turn on the TV. And I'm just, it's just amusing. I'm just trying to switch off. Okay, but intentionally applying the Scripture to muse on something, to take one truth and to sit on it and to think on it, to dwell on it. You take 1 John chapter 3, how deep the Father, great the Father's love for us that we should be called children of God. You remember what Chad preached the other night about being a son of God and you just muse on that all week. God, the Father loves me. God, the Father loves me. You just muse. That's a devotional thing, okay? So you approach the Bible devotionally. Number two, another way to intentionally approach the Bible is to do it topically, to approach the Bible with a topical study, okay? Or topical reading. You pick a topic. And you research, you dig through the Bible, maybe using a Bible program like biblehub.com or blueletterbible.org or whatever it is. And you look up every reference to that and you get a notepad and pen out and you start writing every reference and everything you learn about that subject. So you might choose a character. Uh, I'm going to study Deborah and I'm going to read the story of Deborah. It's a topic, it's a character study. And I'm gonna write down everything God shows me about Deborah. I'm gonna look up every reference. Oh, she's actually in Hebrews 11. What does it say? Oh, I'm gonna write that down there. Where does she appear in, in the history? Okay, I'm gonna write that down there. What can I learn? What can I be encouraged? Oh, I'm gonna write that down. And this is a topical study. You choose a topic and you study it out. Okay, you choose a topic and you study it out. It could be a phrase like the day of the Lord. Okay, or propitiation just for something fancy, okay? Or it could be, uh, yeah, anything else. You pick a certain topic and you go, I'm gonna dig into that. And this is what the Bereans probably did when Paul spoke to them in Acts 17. He spoke on a topic and they said, hmm, interesting. And it says they went home and they searched the Scripture. They dug through the Scripture. This isn't about God searching you like a devotional study is. Lord, search my heart. Like, speak to me, speak to my heart. Now, this isn't about searching yourself. This is about searching the Scripture, being an investigative journalist and digging deep into the thing. And if you can find something that interests you, and you might, you might pick up something from this conference. Rob spoke on righteousness last night. Boom, that's it. That's what I'm going to do for the next month. I'm going to look up every reference to the word righteousness and I'm going to, read, I'm going to take notes. I'm basically going to do a little research project. No one else needs to see. It doesn't need to be neat, but I'm going to dig into this righteousness thing for myself I'm going to look at that topic and study that. Then, then you have intention. Okay, if you were to ask me, Chad, what are you reading in the Bible at the moment? I could not answer you with a book and chapter and verse because that's not what I'm doing at the moment. I'm doing topical study because I'm writing this book. 
I'm at the moment looking up topics. At the moment, I'm looking up the, uh, the, the culture of the Bible times and I'm looking up verses about how their cultural influence affected the way the Bible author. So I'm doing that right now. That's my, I'm doing a topical study at the moment in the Scriptures and I couldn't, give you, I couldn't tell you where, in, where there's a ribbon in my Bible because that's not what I'm doing at the moment. I've got limited Bible reading energy. You can't do all of these at once. Okay, let's all admit it. We've got limited energy when it comes to our Bible intake. But do something, okay? Do something. Have a devotional thing and do that for a year. This year, it's all about my heart. That's what I'm doing. Or if something sparks in your mind, do a topical study. Or number three, my favourite. Devotional study, topical study. The third way to intentionally approach the Bible is to do so chronologically. To do so chronologically. When you read the Bible chronologically, this is a systematic approach where you start at the beginning and you put one step in front of the other and you walk in a straight line and you read part one, then part two, then part three, then part four and you just read from beginning to end. And for most books of the Bible, almost all of them, this is how the authors want you to read it. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, I think the Colossians as well, and he says, listen guys, this letter that I've got given you, would you please read it out loud to the church and then get the letter I sent to Laodicea and read that letter out loud as well. Now, what did Paul have in mind when he said that? Do you think, oh yeah, read the first two verses, then flick through to the end and then pick a little bit in the middle? And re- No, no, no. Read the letter from start to finish. Okay? Don't just flick open to Ephesians and, and look at the bit you've highlighted before at a camp somewhere. <laughs> start in Ephesians 1 and just sit down and read it. Read it from beginning to end. And it doesn't matter if you don't get it all. You'll never get it all. Just keep reading. A chronological reading gives you a big picture perspective and it helps you get the flow of the Scripture, okay? It helps you get the flow from beginning to end and you may not get every detail and you won't remember every detail. That's not the point because you're not meditating on it. You're not doing the devotional thing. You're not looking for a topic. You're just reading it from start to finish. And that, I'm I'm naturally inclined that way anyway. So I think it's my, I'm kind of a big picture person. I'm, I'm, My temperament leans that way. But I tell you what, reading books of the Bible from start to finish is one of the most helpful things you can do to really understand how it all fits together. Okay? Last year, I did more than that. Like I said before, I encouraged my church to read not only a book from start to finish, but the whole Bible from start to finish as it happened, which is a little bit different to reading the Bible as it's presented. Okay, one of the reasons the Bible confuses many of us is because it's not in the right order. It's not written as it happened. They lump, the editors have lumped the books in with their common genre. So all the prophets are together, even though they all spoke hundreds of years apart at different times to different places to different people. But they're all lumped together. So I don't personally see much value at all in reading Genesis to Revelation like that. But I put together a program, it's on our Facebook page for Bayside Church, where we set it out chronologically week after week. Where, yeah, you read Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, but by the time it gets to the prophets, you read the books of Kings. And then when that prophet appears, you then read that prophet, what he said at that time. And then you go back to the book of Kings to read the history, the narrative, and then that prophet speaks, so you read his thing. And then you're reading Samuel, and then you've got the lives of David, when Saul is persecuting David. So what do you do? You stop reading the story, and then you read the psalm that David wrote when he was going through that. Okay, so you actually get the picture going through. And last year, not only did I do that, it's one of the best things I've ever done for my Bible understanding. I also wrote tutorials every week and did a video tutorial for our church, 15, 15 minutes each. So listen, this week, this is what you're about to read. Watch out for this, this, and this. Keep your eye on this, this, and this. This is what's coming, 
Okay, and people read through that. And we had, you know, I would have loved to have said, you know, all 200 something of our people read through the whole thing. Probably had six or seven that carried it through. You know, good intentions, you know, from the, you know. But those people, I just tell you what, said it was the most incredible year because they now can stand back and see the Bible and see the story unfold. Because the Bible is many books, but it's one book. The Bible is many genres, but it's got one story. Many subplots, but one plot all the way through. And you can appreciate the diversity and the unity of the Scripture when you read it chronologically. So for some of you, the intention of reading through the whole Bible in a year, maybe that's too much. But maybe right now you can just say, I'm going to read all of Paul's letters. There's a good start. Between now and Christmas, I'm going to devote myself just to making sure I read all of Paul's epistles. And I'm just going to, I'm going to start Romans 1 and I'm going to read it through to Romans 16. And when I get to Timothy, I'm going to read those in one sitting. Because I'm not, I'm not digging deep in every verse. I'm just reading it like a letter. Like if someone sends you an email, someone send, we don't get letters anymore, I get that. But if someone sends you an email, you just read it as it's read. Okay? Be intentional and reading it chronologically from start to finish is really, really helpful. And any of you can do that. And if you're not a good reader, if you struggle to read, then choose a, um, a narrative book like the book of Acts, for example. Because stories, for most of us that aren't good readers, stories are a lot easier to read than prophets. Okay? So read the stories. Read a book like Acts or even Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Okay, or what I did is great. You read Luke and then Acts. Because Luke and Acts are actually two, it's a two volume work. It's like, uh, you know, watching two parts of a, a, ser- a television series. You binge watch Luke and then you binge watch Acts and they go together. Series one, series two. Okay, there's a continuation there. But whatever, here's Chad's point here. Be intentional. Have a plan. Okay, and be realistic with your plan, but have something. Okay, Set your mind between now and the end of the year to read devotionally, to read thematically. I'm going to choose a theme that interests me or to read chronologically. And I tell you what, that is really going to benefit you and you can do that. Even if you're not that good a reader, you can do that. Amen? And some of you who walk or catch the train or something, you can get the Bible on audio. And you're, if you just listen to it, I tell you what, you're going to miss Heaps of stuff, but you'll get something. You'll get, you'll get the vibe, okay? You will get something in there. Just be intentional. Done. Oh, my goodness. A, appreciate. E, expect. I, intention. O, when you approach the Bible reading, be open. Approach your Bible reading with openness. Openness says this, I don't know everything and I might be wrong. I don't know everything and I might be wrong and I'm open to learn, I'm open to unlearn and I'm open to relearn. I'm open. I'm humble. Lord, speak, for your servant is listening. A good student is open. Time and time again, God's people in the old, well, God's old covenant community were rebuked for not listening, not learning, and not changing. Consider these verses. For I know how stubborn and obstinate you are. Your necks are as unbending as iron. Your heads are as hard as bronze. You're not letting anything get in there. Yes, Jesus said, I realise you're descendants of Abraham and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. Your heads are as hard as bronze. Nothing that I say can get in there. Jesus said, you're trying to kill me because you've not allowed room in your heart for the message that I'm speaking. Philip, you stubborn, Stephen, you stubborn people. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did and so do you. God was pretty scathing time and time again for His old covenant community for not being open to learn. 
and not being open to hear something that adjusted their current belief system and trajectory. And that's what the stiff neck's about. You know, when you lead an animal, like on a yoke or whatever, and you're trying to steer that animal in a, you know, turn left now. Okay, we've been going this way for a while, but now I want you to turn left. And that animal, that stubborn ox or mule, it would have its head forward and keep its neck forward. And the leader was trying to say, no, 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 I'm nudging you. We've got to change direction now. We've got to go that way. And their necks were stubborn. Okay, that's that whole sort of animal picture there. So how many of you know, I don't want to be like that. I, don't want, I want to be open to learning. And when it comes to reading the Scriptures, before we approach the Bible, all of us have presuppositions, presupposed beliefs that will be challenged. And you can't help that. Okay, you can't help that. But you need to be open to saying, Lord, if you reveal something to me in the Scripture, your Holy Spirit confirms it. I am willing for my presupposed beliefs to be challenged and I'm willing to change. I am open. Sometimes when we approach the Scripture, we not only have presuppositions, we also have preferences. Let's admit it. There are certain things in the Scripture that you like more than others. And that's actually okay. Because your personal preferences are a reflection of who you are as an individual. Okay? We all prefer different things, and that's a reflection of how God's made us. So that in itself, that you've got personal preferences, is actually okay. But if your preferences are left unchecked, preferences towards things you like can lead to prejudice against the stuff you don't like. It took me 14 years as a preacher leading a church, preaching most weeks, over 40 times a year, took me 14 years before I taught in our church or even addressed the subject of the rapture, the resurrection of the dead and the return of Christ. For 14 years, I avoided eschatology like the plague. I didn't want to go near it. And I had a number of reasons for that. Many people who talk about eschatology just get a little bit weird and I didn't want our church to get weird. I didn't get a lot of it. It confused me, made me uncomfortable, particularly some of this. I mean, I know, you know, I'm happy to sing the last verse of the, of the hymns that talk about Jesus coming back. You know, they sound positive, but I also know enough of the scriptures to know it's not all beer and Skittles. And when I read the Bible, any of the judgment bits I kind of read over really quick. I didn't like them. And so the reason I avoided it as a preacher is because I avoided it as a reader. I had a preference to preach and a preference to look at the bits that I thought I had a grasp on. I grew up in a church that taught me about new covenant and righteousness and justification. So those bits I highlight, those bits I look at, those bits I read and those bits I preach. But when it talks about stuff I haven't been schooled in, I just read over them really quickly. <laughs> and I never... so. My preferences towards the things I like led to prejudice against the stuff I don't like. And that's natural. But we need to be open for God to say, hang on, take another look. Open to adjust your preferences and make sure that you aren't dismissing a whole realm of truth that's available to you because it doesn't quite make you comfortable. I'm open to learn. And then openness, of course, means being able to deal with pride. Presuppositions, preferences, and pride. Because pride says, I know what's right. I know it all. And what I know is right. And even if something is clear as day to me, even if something comes up super clear, I refuse to believe it. And I'll, I'll, I'll hear the 1% message that confirms my bias yeah. because I'm pride and I can't admit that I'm wrong. Yeah. And I'll say nothing about Russian collusion in there. Okay, so we need to be <laughs> open when we read the Scripture. A, one more to go. You ready? We approach the Bible with appreciation. Lord, for what I'm about to receive, I'm really grateful. E, we approach the Bible with expectation. Expect God to minister to your head, your heart and your hands. 
A-E-I. We approach the Bible with intention. I'm deliberately reading this right now. That's my thing. I'm doing it devotionally. I'm doing it topically. Or maybe I'm doing it chronologically. A-E-I-O. I approach the Bible with openness. Okay, I know I've got presuppositions. I know I've got preferences. I know I've got pride. Okay, but I'm open to learn. I'm open to learn. Lastly, A-E-I-O. You. We need to approach the Bible with an understanding of the rules. We need to understand the rules. Two verses in Timothy. Paul says, 1 Timothy 1.8, We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. The Bible is good if you use it properly. He then says this, he uses the exact same Greek word in 2 Timothy 2.5, where he says, anyone who competes as an athlete must do so according to the rules. If an athlete is going to do well, you need to understand the rules of the game, mate. And similarly, when you handle the word, the law in that case, but the word generally, you need to understand the rules. Do so understanding how to handle it. Now, I'm going to say something a little bit controversial, but it's true, like it or not, just be open. Aussie rules is the best football code in the world. It's amazing. It's a great game. Yet most of you hate it. And it's because you don't get it. International sports fans come to Australia, they sit down, they watch an Aussie Rules football match and they've got no idea what is going on. It's disorientated, it's disorderly, it's just, der- I mean, what the heck's, nothing's going They don't understand it and so they can't enjoy it. But if you sit down with a tourist, overseas visitor, watching a game of Aussie Rules footy and you explain to them what's going on, hang on, let me help you understand the rules here. The more you understand the rules, the more you appreciate the game. And the more you watch the game, the more you understand the rules. And the more you understand the rules, the more you want to watch the game. And so this upward spiral begins to happen of familiarity and fanhood. I'm more familiar, so now I'm more of a fan. I'm more familiar, so now I like it more. And the same is true with the Bible. The more you read it, just watch the thing, the more you'll get to understand how it works. And the more you get to understand how it works by reading, you know, good hermeneutics books, the, the way you un, more you understand how it works, the more you want to watch it, read it. The more you read it, the more you understand the rules. The more you understand the rules, the more you want to read it because it makes more sense to you. So some of us, we're on, we've got such low confidence when it comes to reading the Bible, because you're not quite sure how the whole darn thing works. It's confusing. As I said before, that's why you need intention. That's why some of these things are going to be very helpful to you. Well, just start watching the game. Watch the game, understand the rules. And the more you understand the rules, the more you want to watch. And when you understand the rules, like any sports game, there are observers, there are players, and there are coaches. When you understand the rule, you'll be rules, you'll be a better observer. You'll be sitting in the pews, listening to a preacher, and the more you understand how the Word of God goes, the more discerning you will be about what you hear. The more you will know as an observer how to eat the meat and spit out the bones. Okay, you are responsible for your spiritual diet. And no matter what comes from a microphone, you're responsible for what you allow in. And the more you understand the rules of the Scripture, the more as an observer in the stands, as it were, watching someone else play the game, as it were, you will be able to be discerning because you understand the rules. But God forbid we end it there. God forbid the Christian church just thinks of themselves as spectators and never grows up and gets out of the stands. So the best and most discerning spectators are those who have played the game for themselves. The the best way for you to understand and to discern listening to a preacher is because you you have handled the Word yourself. You've played the game yourself. You've studied the Bible yourself. 
You know what it is to handball, to kick. You know what it is to play. You've been in the game. Understanding the rules will help you be a better spectator, but it'll also help you be a much better player yourself. And then lastly, and I finish with this, understanding the rules will help you become a better coach. Because like Paul writes to Timothy and he says, what, I've, what I'm teaching you, I want you to teach others. I want you to teach others. And if there's anyone that needs to understand the rules of the game, it's the coach. Because you're instructing others in the Scripture. That's why the Bible talks about uh, those who preach the Word will be scrutinised more severely or scrutinised highly, maybe is a better word, because it's so important in how we handle the Word to other people. But that is not a daunting task. It's an incredibly rewarding task because John and Paul and others say, listen, I've got no greater joy than knowing that those whom I've taught have embraced my truth and are running with it. There is no greater joy. I love being a spectator, listening to someone else preach and going, yes, that's awesome. Mm, Not too sure, but yes, that bit's awesome. I I love good preaching and teaching and I've heard hundreds, if not thousands of hours in my life. But the greatest revelations have come when I've taken the ball myself and I've studied the Scripture for myself. I've been in the game for myself and I come out sweating like deep heat and wet grass and sweat with bruises on my body because I've been in the Bible myself. They're my greatest discoveries. I've I've listened to thousands of hours of teaching, but the ones that have meant the most to me, the ones that I have found playing the game myself in my own personal study, personal curiosity, personal investigation, personal illumination to my head, heart and hands. But as awesome as that is, I also love it when people come to me and say, you know what? You just switched me on to something today. What you just taught, what you just coached me in, I feel like I can do that. I've never seen that before. I've never, it's such a joy to do that. It's such a joy to move from being a spectator to a player to a coach. And no matter who you are, no matter where you're at in that stage, you need to understand the rules. And so that's what my book's about. Understand, that's why if you go back on YouTube, watch the 2013 thing where I talked about how to rightly divide the word of truth. I I shared some stuff there, much more detail in my book coming out next year. And in the next session, what I want to do is just show you an example of how to handle the Bible properly. I can't go into too much detail, but I'm going to pick one primary motif and passage of Scripture from Jesus talking about being cut off the vine when you are fruitless. And I'm going to, we're going to unpack that. We're going to look at that, something that has very different interpretations so that you can, from a live example, understand, aha, I saw what he did there. I can do that too. That's how you can rightly divide the Word of truth. So I'm not going to speak so much on how to handle the Scripture as much as give you a live example in the next session, okay? So you can do it for yourself. 